0: From the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California, I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast.
1: So I want to thank you all for coming. This is another Sex and Culture Lecture Series Evening. And um, we have a really interesting program. What we're talking about tonight is like exactly what I look for when I um, look for programs for the Sex and Culture Lecture Series. Because circumcision or the decision to do this is absolutely cultural. Some cultures do it and many cultures don't. And there's all kinds of interesting cultural stories behind why it happens and when it stops happening in terms of ch- cal- changes in cultural attitudes, changes in information bases, etc. So um, it's my pleasure to have um, Eliyahu and um, Penny ungar Sargon um, be present here to screen their film and then lead a discussion afterwards.
2: Okay, I have my own story with this, but um, first thing I want to mention, because I missed the beginning, I don't know if it covered, I I don't remember where I learned this, but that originally circumcision wasn't the entire glands, penis, you know, um, down to the bottom of the head, that it was just, they would take the tip, kind of pull it, oh, how convenient, pull it it like this, and kind of, Just the edge, which now tonight I learn, also is cutting off the the part that gives the most pleasure, Um, you know. And I went through as a Jewish woman, also married to a black man who was Jewish, feeling that I needed to have my son circumcised, and he's thirty six now, because it was going to be hard enough because he was mixed. And I didn't want him to have to deal with that also. But I, later, years later, after going through all of this, I regret it. And um, once lived in an intentional community in, in Massachusetts um, called the Medinoket community. And we had a long discussion about this very issue. And I was studying midwifery at the time. And um, just one of the points that was most salient for me was that by depriving men of a foreskin to take care of, it removes from men having s- something to take care of around their sexuality, the way women have to take care of their periods every month, that men having to clean and take care of their um, the smegma and, you know, cleaning and that that was something that was also a deprivation, and just the idea of reduced pleasure. And I can't help but think that Judaism as an ancient tribal religion that really comes out of Africa, where there is a lot of inflicted pain and then women have circumcision as well, which is very cruel, um, that there is somewhat of an intent to deprive men of sexual pleasure, or at least not deprive completely, but at least control it. And that's my own theory about it, in understanding Judaism and understanding um, life, and men and women, and etc. Um, so it's a complex issue for me, and I would hope that if my children ever have children, that they don't, if they have sons, that they would not circumcise their sons, and that we start a new tradition. Somehow.
0: Yeah, so uh, just a couple of points on uh, the history of the extent of the procedure. Uh, That was your first point. Um, And yes, it's true that uh, it was less radical um, before the Hellenic period. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was not. it was basically what you described, that they would pull a little bit over the glands and and cut that away, but um, a large part of the foreskin remained. Of course, we now know that the ridge band, as you mentioned, the most yeah. sensitive part with the the sort of most highly endowed from a neurological perspective right. was always ablated. But
2: at least the men still had a covering to protect the head. So well, yeah, no, I don't know that the... Still, I
0: don't think the glands was ever covered in Jewish circumcision, but there was still some foreskin, if, if you understand... I mean, well, there would be
2: a little bit, I would think, if it wasn't cut off completely.
0: Right, right, well, it would go up to the glands, right? I mean, we're getting into some of the intricacies of right. the structure now, but um, there's... And then
2: there isn't that experience of tearing its attachment apart that it's just the part that naturally right you you right village. right so but but you I mean traumatic.
0: you're still getting rid of the most sensitive part and etc exactly. etc et so so that it just interestingly out of curiosity a lot of people don't know this the reason it changed um, was because um, Jewish men uh, in the Hellenic period were actually restoring their foreskins um, they were uh, pulling back You know, but with the same principle that you saw in the film, less sophisticated technology in those days, but they would pull back, uh, create tension and then grow it back to cover over the glands. And the reason they were doing this was because in Hellenic culture, um, there were a lot of instances in which you were expected to be in the nude. So the Olympic Games, for example, were always performed in the nude, but showing the glands was considered vulgar. Uh, And so Jews who wanted to fit into that sort of athletic culture would restore their foreskins, and the rabbis got wind of this, (laughs) and they said, well, we're going to institute a more radical form of circumcision so that you can't, so that it's, it's virtually impossible to restore, and that's when they instituted the practice of priya, which is the... Uh, the, the peeling back of the foreskin and the tearing away of the remaining mucosa, and that's when it became a much more extensive practice. So that, that, that's just a, a few words on the history of, of the extent of the practice, yeah.
2: And just because I feel so strongly about it, my name is Devorah Cohen, and I'm going on record. <laughs> oh,
0: well, thank you. No, and I thank you for sharing your story. I think it's really powerful. Um, uh, to, to your points about um, controlling sexuality, yes and no, um, I think cultural practices... Um, exist in a sort of cultural subconscious space, especially something that's this deeply embedded in our culture and it's this um, primal. And you you sort of, if you familiarize yourself with the history of the practice, you, you, you get lots of different reasons given. Even in the Jewish tradition, there are all sorts of different rationales given for it. You have the covenantal rationale and you have, you know... Um, this sort of you know, marking the people apart kind of rationale, and then you have the sexual pleasure rationale, which starts to crop up in the medieval period, um, uh, where people start saying, you know like Maimonides most famous most famously starts saying yeah, well, we're doing this intentionally to reduce sexual pleasure so that you can concentrate on the more important things in life. Um, but you know, there's I wasn't so many even thinking
3: that
2: I was really thinking that because. Men have such a strong instinct to to go after sexual pleasure that, it, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things in Judaism around it. I mean, just the fact that women and men are separate for half the month. and Yeah. And also going back to all kinds. Mean, I mean, sexuality is extremely important in Judaism. So in a way, it heightens things.
0: Yeah, I mean, you missed the beginning of the film, but I okay. think um, one of the things that, that uh, the anthropologist Leonard Glick uh, who's done a, who's written a history of circumcision, really great history called "Marked in, in Your Flesh." Um, he he hypothesizes, and I think this is sort of um, sort of accepted wisdom among Bible scholars also that the the time at which it became a really important Jewish practice was the Second Temple period, in which the priesthood was trying to establish a new theocracy, and this was a kind of hazing ritual for parents actually to get into. The new kind of theocracy around the temple cult. Um, so that's sort of an accepted historical reasons about what, about when it became really central in the Jewish tradition. And then of course you have Christianity attacking Judaism on this. The early break with Christianity in large part was around the issue of circumcision because it was the you know, Christians were trying to build this universalist religion, and so now you, you have this barrier to entry. <laughs> Literal barrier to entry of circumcision. And so they were kind of like, well, we don't do it. And then it it became a theological thing that we're the people of the spirit, not the people of the body. And then there was a sort of reaction against that from the Jewish uh, tradition that made it even more central and it became more ensconced and more important. Um, But yeah, I mean, it has a long history. Lots of reasons have been given. Uh, Yeah, many people have talked about this as a way of controlling sexuality. Interestingly, Um, The one study that I'm aware of that looks at the effects of circumcision on sexual behavior is Edward Lauman, who we interviewed in the film. He did an extrapolation of the National Health and Social Life Survey uh, in the early 90s, which he was responsible for. And he extrapolated data on that study to look at um, whether or not there are any differences in sexual behaviors between circumcised and intact American males. And what he found was that there were some really interesting differences, even after all other things were... Controlled for. So after controlling for things like uh, level of education, socioeconomic status, he found that circumcised men actually masturbate quite a bit more than intact men. Um, We don't know why this is. That's the data. He he hypothesized that it it may be that they're chasing a sort of sexual satisfaction that they they can't really get. get. That's that's speculation. But um, the the interesting thing about that is that it it completely contradicts the initial rationale for having had the practice.
2: But it kinda goes with my thought, which is that sexuality is important in Judaism, the whole idea of separating men and women so that there's more intense, you know, more intense attraction between men and women and this also heightens that as well. No,
4: but what he's saying, no, no, the no. the original reason was to eliminate masturbation, yeah. but they masturbate even more often. Yeah. I mean, I
2: I hear that, but I'm still saying this other yeah. point, which is that it, if men are pursuing sexuality even more, I think that's part of. Well, they're pursuing the masturbation, part. not sexuality with a, with a partner. No, it yeah. It didn't. It didn't. You didn't say that they didn't yeah, pursue sexuality more with women. It just said that they. I, I I don't know.
0: It didn't
2: th- say that they didn't pursue women. More
0: I, more. I I I don't know that anyone. Um, I I don't know that anyone cared about the sexual consequences of circumcision when it was originally instituted. Maybe they did. I mean, we know that in Africa, for example, I mean, now we're getting beyond the Jewish side of it, but in Africa, um, a big part of the cultural rationale, and this is really interesting, actually, there are no African cultures in which only women are circumcised. I bet you didn't know that. You have cultures in which men and women are circumcised, and you have cultures in which only men are circumcised, there are no cultures in which only women are circumcised. In the cultures that circumcise men and women, the cultural rationale for it is that you're making the male organ more masculine and you're making the female organs more feminine and that by doing this, you force people to find in their partners the the, the pieces that were cut away. That's a big part of the cultural rationale. They do it
3: at puberty though, right? Makes sense.
5: Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's variability as to the time, but for the most part in Africa, it's done as a as a, a coming of age ritual. Yeah. Uh,
4: so uh, I'm my name is Lilia Fry, and I'm originally from Russia, where it's not practiced, only uh, uh, Muslim religion, and it, at age thirteen for boys. Um, and w- what I wanted to say that. Um, I had to experience that on my own to witness the circumcision on my son when I was uh, against it, and uh, my ex-husband now uh, to be, uh, he was circumcised, and he was like your father. He f- Even he's not Jewish, he felt as it's, Uh, It's done through generations, and if I'm circumcised, my son should be like me. And how many arguments I would uh, bring it to him, all the statistics, he would not listen. And uh, after my child was born, he wanted to circumcise him immediately. Sometimes they do it like on the second day. And I said no, and he would not talk to me for three weeks. My husband then, he would not help me, would not talk to me. He said, until you agree to circumcise our son. And I remember and just watching this film again, which is phenomenal. Thank you very much. It's, it was heartfelt to relieve that moment. I, I was crying, uh, s- seeing my son suffering. And just feeling th- his pain and um knowing that uh what he is going to depri- be deprived in the future and uh understanding um that his sexual life is not gonna be the same, and uh, um his uh, sensations not gonna be the same um. uh also um it it is true uh, for women to notice the difference between uh, circumcised and uncircumcised penis. Um, Me, uh, as a single woman, uh, I wouldn't be in a relationship with a man who is circumcised because I do not enjoy it. So, And uh, I want to tell you guys, thank you very much for this film because I see it as the first tab a step to the awakening this society should wake up and it's not only uh, the Jewish community the whole world and uh, I think you are uh, uh, creating a revolution and thank you very much
0: well, it's my pleasure thank you for sharing your story I really appreciate that um, yeah one of these uh one of the less talked about sides of this is this idea of what's the female perspective on the difference between having sex with circumcised and intact guys. And of course in the United States, um, something like 75, 80% of men currently living in the United States are circumcised. So it's almost a little bit of a rare thing for a woman to have experience with, with an intact guy. But, you know, I've been um, doing this podcast now for two months and going around the continent, talking to different people and, I've had the opportunity to talk to some women who've had experience with both and um, uh, even a bisexual guy who's intact and has had experience, a very broad experience, right? He's had as an intact man sex with uh, heterosexual women and homosexual men who are both circumcised and intact. Um, And uh, that side of it is very uh, not, it's not often spoken about. I, I touched on it briefly in the film by uh, talking to Alice uh, Lowe, Lo, Alice Lau, sorry, the wife of Ron Lau, who's the inventor of the TLC Tugger, the restoration device. And you know, she talked about it being like a ribbed vibrator and and that sort of a thing. But there's a lot of um, there's a lot more really interesting stuff that can be said about that. And um, I spoke to a, a woman by the name of Aubrey Taylor in Atlanta, and she was very detailed about what it is about. Uh, Intact guys that she prefers better, and what it is about having sex with an intact man that she prefers. Um, So yeah, that's that's one of those areas that uh, I hope some people will do more work on in the future. But yeah, I mean, we're trying to get the word out about this. Um, It's you know, it's 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 it speaks volumes about our culture that this is done regularly, and not a a second thought is given to it. Um, And I, I say that as a person who's been talking about this now. This film came out in 2007, right? And it's really hard to get people to talk about this. Um, And it's not just because it's an uncomfortable subject. It's because it's really, it's deep in the culture. It's in a sort of almost subconscious cultural space where this is just what we do. Or like your your ex-husband, you know, there was something really powerful compelling him to make his son look like him. And that's... That's a deep, psychosexual kind of wound. Yeah,
6: it, it's actually. My name is Robert Hartman. Um, it goes deeper than that, and what you're saying about it being, you know, in a kind of an unconscious place is really true. Because that, at least, from what I can tell, is um, where it, it's a profound alienation. And it's a tremendous message that, a, that an infant boy gets about his place in the world, or his, you know, or his lack of a place in the world. And uh, I mean, if you want to, you know, there's a phenomenon called trauma-binding. bond uh, binding. And if you want to make sure that someone is bound to you, inflict tremendous pain on them when they're in a vulnerable position, and then offer them relief. They will, you know, it's so, I hate to say it, but a good portion of the Jewish faith might just be Helsinki syndrome. You Helsinki? know? Yeah, yeah, which is, that's where, where hostages eventually come to identify with their captors. And, um, and in the United States, where it's practiced routinely and there isn't even a religious um, cast to it in most cases, Um, it binds you to a system, uh, uh, and I think a lot of the vehemence in American culture and in Muslim cultures comes from the same place. I mean, if you want to piss a kid off royally, you know, just when he's becoming sexually active, uh, mutilate his genitals, you know, and then let, and then see what he's going to do with that. Um, and... You know, so I don't know it 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 was hard watching the Bris on film. I don't think I'll ever attend one um, in person. i think I think if I did, there would uh, violence would occur, <laughs> uh, especially after having seen it on film. Um, and it does strike me as really a profound form of abuse. Uh, and the the psychological ramifications of that abuse are very deep. So when you're talking to people who are abuse survivors, they're not going to know how to face it. They don't have the ego structure to even begin to deal with it because it either happened to them or it happened to someone that they love, and they may not even understand what the damage was to to that person if they're female and they didn't see it, they may just, but they're still feeling the effects of it. And so, yeah, I can see it's a, it's, it would be a really tough sell.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. A tough sell is right. And um, I think one of the interesting things to me is when I think about uh, men who have had this done to them and the way that they react to this information or even just to my bringing it up as a topic of conversation, forget about the information itself, just bringing it up as a topic of conversation. So you have a sort of spectrum of, of reactions. But for the most part, people really just don't want to think about it. And I totally understand that as a circumcised man, who would want to think about the fact that their penis is, has been damaged in this profound way. Um, but the interesting thing for me to think about a, a corollary to that is, what is it that allows some people to process this information. Because I actually, to me, it makes perfect sense that no one would ever want to think or talk about this. What's interesting to me are the guys who are able to talk about it, who are able to think about it, and some of them get very, very angry. Um, and some of them just get very sad.
6: I, uh, I was watching the reactions of the people in the room as the bris was happening, and watching my own. And I matter in a wet hand, I am pissed um i'm not you know i'm not you know screaming and ranting and raving, but uh, i'm enraged and uh and I saw some of the other fe- people who were some of the other men who were very seemed very sad to me and very uh you know just grief stricken and I saw the the look of horror and grief and despair on the women's faces, some of them. And I can't imagine um, I can't imagine being in a situation where a, a mole or a doctor would survive in any sane society. They, you know they, I, I don't see that. I don't think that anybody in a sane society could finish that procedure
1: question just because sure. of what you said you said sure. that, you, know, you were so angry was that the first time you had seen one or had you thought about this before was that like a new experience
6: i've thought you? about it before and when i understood you know i mean i've had to deal with you know myself and you know my own process and some of the you know some of the things that have gone wrong in my life and trace that back and part one of the places that that i had to look at was what happened to me at birth and around my birth, and I was routinely circumcised without anesthetic, and that, yeah, and that alienation that I have experienced, and the inability to relate to people, and the inability to trust, uh, because, you know, I wasn't bound into a community. It was just a routine, you know, thing with uh, done with uh, clinical detachment, and so when your most intimate parts are taken in an error, in in a situation of clinical detachment, that also sends a message.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I I mean, I think it's really interesting to think about this from the perspective of the practitioners. You're bringing up Mohals and doctors, and um, one of the things that's been very interesting for me to think about, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar, there's a pretty prominent pediatrician around here by the name of uh, Paul Fleiss, Um, Heidi Fleiss's dad, yes. and he's, uh, he's spoken publicly about this. Uh, he was way out in front of this issue. And one of the things he said was that he literally did not hear the babies crying when he did the circumcisions. And what that suggests to me, and he's not the only person who's, who's gone on record saying that, is that there are some deep uh, psychological mechanisms at play in the practitioners that would allow them to do this. And so I, I think about them in a very roundabout, backwards way, but they're kind of victims too. They've been dehumanized by this practice too. They've literally been forced to take leave of their senses for the time that they're doing this, um, which is not to absolve them of responsibility. It's just to realize that, um, that, that there's a there's a cost to their humanity as well. That's pro-
6: That may be the same phenomenon about the fathers, that they're deeply traumatized and that they've been dehumanized. And, um, you know, it's like I was a Boy Scout, and in the Boy Scouts there's always some, some kind of initiation, you know, and when we talk about initiations in our culture, you know, and the men's movement talks about it, I've always thought that that was just an, a way to reenact the wounding process and not necessarily... Uh, a way to bring consciousness or light to it, you have to be very careful with initiations. Um, but I think that drive that a man might have to circumcise his son, I think comes from a way to expiate the trauma of his own circumcision. And if I would, I would bet dollars to donuts that the pra- I know all the Moils have been circumcised, but I'll bet m- most or all of the doctors who perform circumcision are at least the males have been circumcised
0: well and that's interesting because um as i as we saw in the film it's actually become largely part of OBGYN, um and that's interesting because that speaks to the i mean there's a larger issue of the medicalization of all sorts of um you know elements of our biological lives you have the medicalization of birth Right. With women all of a sudden being told to give birth in hospitals and the lithotomy position and all of these sorts of strange, non-evidence based things. Um, right. In countries where they don't I just this is just uh, tangential, but, you know, uh, sort of uh, Denmark and Sweden, where most births are at home, they actually have lower infant mortality rates than we do here. But, it, it, you know, there is a medicalization of birth. And there's a medicalization of circumcision, and part of the medicalization of circumcision is that it's done on the second or third day after birth, and it's kind of a one-stop shopping. You know, the same person who delivers the baby many times is the one who circumcises them, and it's done outside of the earshot and sight of the parents. Um, And that's all part of this sort of managing the patient, managing the system, it becoming sort of a smooth kind of one-stop shopping, you know, system um so that's another al- element of this
6: that's really pissing me off
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's let's pass the pass the mic
3: i was you know somebody maybe it was the woman who was doing circumcisions uh said or some one of the people said that it's just that you're taking off his diaper you know that's why he's crying but you know you notice this kid doesn't start screaming until you actually see him being cut and right. i mean it makes sense he's not he might be a little cranky or something but that's not the same thing oh he didn't make he, a
0: peep until that hemostat. yeah and this one on didn't yeah
3: right and you look at it and say oh my god look what it's putting in there it's like
4: that's ah, gotta hurt to mention something even without Mike. i don't know if you need- Um, my son was circumcised when he was three weeks old. Okay. And for the first three weeks, he was the most amazing, happy baby. He started to smile very early. He didn't cry at all. all. And on that day when he was circumcised, the first time I really heard him cry. And he didn't stop for days. He was crying, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't sleep, my, my heart was broken, and for days he was crying. And from that moment on, he learned, I mean, how to be upset with the world, I assume. He started to cry.
7: I hadn't um, witnessed a, you know, a brisk before, or if I heard children crying in that specific way. I am thinking of Robert's comment about Stockholm Syndrome. And I just think it's really interesting, um, because if for those who are circumcised outside of re- well either way, like looking at the film, I was trying to imagine what it would be like to be a, a little boy uh, surrounded by all those old men and that and those you know the stark whites and the deep black tapestry, and it just um, it just looks so surreal. Now I'm not an orthodox Jew. if I were, that would probably look normal to me. Um, but this, I was trying to imagine, what would it be like to have that experience of pain and bonding and the like, the smells of your dad touching you while this was being administered to you? you know, and, and that extraordinary initial sensory uh, um, classification of the world around you and those with whom you're intimate merged into this. And what would that do to your mind? Um, what does that do to, to a culture with everyone born into that? I was also thinking of America... Being a Puritan culture, initially, and perhaps there's some, maybe there's a connection of between that and how it's become so prominent in our world, and and also particularly in America, the dominance of allopathy, which you know comes from other other sources, perhaps. Um, nonetheless, uh, in addition, if you're not in a if you're not in a birth, if you're circumcised in a hospital, um, you're having the whatever reactions you're having are going to be to doctors and hospitals and doctors are not uh, uh, noted for their tremendous amounts of empathy you know we're selected in medical school for capacity to be intellectual for which Jews are also known so I'm wondering if there's a mixture of which came first Um, now that's you know uh, someone in the audience who's very knowledgeable is shaking her head so perhaps I'm making completely unsupportable claims here or, or comments here but I'm just thinking about that
0: well I don't I mean so you said a lot <laughs> um I'll just make a couple comments um yes there's an interesting connection between the hyperrational and the sadistic I think Dostoevsky pointed this out or was one of the first to really do it justice Which of his books? The Brothers Karamazov uh the, the character of Ivan specifically um is I this sort of Oh, um, uh, one of the, that's, that's the of if it not it the is. greatest novel of all time. But yes. there's a character in there called Yvonne, and he's a sort of hyper-intellectual, um, but also sort of completely lacking in empathy. And there seems to be a, maybe a connection between those things. But in the... Actually,
6: g- actually there is. Uh, at least if Leonard Schlein is a doctor who talks about the, uh, the connection between the, the rise of the alphabet and the demise of the goddess... And it makes it
0: most, very interesting. Yeah, no, I, and I, I see that. I, I think, though, in Jewish culture, there's so many conflicting values around this. Um, in every other, and this has been interesting to me to look into it from a religious perspective because I have the background to do that. And, of course, I've been attacked by religious authorities all over the continent now. Um, <laughs> so I've needed to bone up on this stuff. Uh, and I have the tools to do that because I was you know, gifted with a, a very strong religious education. Um, you know, when you, when you look into this issue, the Jewish tradition has all of these amazing values around preserving life and preventing pain and social justice and empathy for, for the weak and the people who can't take care of themselves. And it's like this one practice is like a little tubercle. Right, it's like a little, like a like a tubercle that exists with all of these defenses around it to sort of prevent all of those other values from from contradicting it. So I don't know that the Jewish tradition in and of itself and the emphasis on intellectual sort of pursuits. Um, I don't know that that connection is really relevant, um, but it is something that we do. And one of the most moving parts of the film to me is when my brother says. Um, you know, the Jewish tradition was one of the most inspiring and yet damaging things that I've experienced in my life. And he wasn't just talking about circumcision. He was talking about the Jewish tradition as a religious tradition and the, the tyranny of it and the beauty of it. The sort of the two at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's something to that.
8: I think you're going to find uh, tyranny in any dogmatic or orthodoxy, regardless of whether it's secular or religious. Um, I'm Edward Lee Goldstein I'm a health educator and I wrote a book called The Male Thing Explained and in my book I do tackle my first cognition that I was circumcised and I was about about five years old or so and I was in a communal shower room like at the uh, YMC or something and you know you're standing at basically penis level with other men (laughs) and I saw this man who was very well endowed, and there was something very unusual about his penis. It looked like a hot dog. You know, there was no knob at the end of it. It was different from anything I'd ever seen, and it, you know, it left uh, a lasting impression. But it was an inquiry because it wasn't really. I mean, it was a question as to you know what, why is he different? You know, what's wrong with him? And it wasn't until, uh, you know, several years later that I, you know, attended a bris and I understood the consequences. And I was, like, shocked, you know. And uh, part of part of my dismay was the thought that uh, Sam Keen in Fire in the Belly talks about by virtue of this scar, you be- are a member of the tribe. And uh, I was thinking by virtue of having a Jewish name of Goldstein – uh, All—it's like walking around with your penis out because everyone's going to know <laughs> that I'm circumcised. <laughs> it was like an invasion of privacy. Any, <laughs> 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 anyone, <laughs> yeah, anyone—you know—with uh, you know the McDougals or whatever, you know—and anyone growing up in America, you know, there's a possibility they're circumcised, but it's not a certainty. But having a Jewish name is like, wow—you know—it's like everyone knows that I have been circumcised. Um, and I talk about that, which was mentioned about, you know, wanting to, in in essence, look like everyone else and be a a member of the tribe one way or the other, um, and in my writing I wrote that, you know, there are situations where uncircumcised Gentiles in a Jewish neighborhood are going to feel really uncomfortable and, they're going to be the butt of jokes because they're different, and, uh... They have their own psychic scars associated with the, uh, the p- their characteristics of their penis. But uh, years later, a friend who has three other brothers uh, was telling me that uh, the f- three older brothers, himself included, had been circumcised as it was their father, but when the, the baby boy was born, Uh, the family had very little money coming in, and he was not circumcised. And uh, as a result of that, he was the butt of a lot of jokes, because he was different from the... and they weren't Jewish either, he was different from the rest of his brothers and his father. And when he became a teenager, and the finances had shifted, he insisted on being circumcised so that he would fit in with the rest of his, his peers and his siblings. So the the desire to look like everyone else to be to blend is a very strong strong feeling. Yeah, and
0: I've I've heard stories like that. But I have to tell you that um you know I've now been to about 30 cities on the North American continent with my film and staying with local organizers and uh intactivists as they call themselves. Um and intactivists And um, they, uh, of course, keep their boys intact when they have boys. And I'm I'm always asking, so what about the shame? What about the locker room? You know, how do you deal with it? What do you tell them to sort of ward off this, you know, feeling? And to a fault, um, not a single person has has said that it was ever an issue. Um, Now, this is not to suggest that, I mean, I've heard stories of guys who are shamed about it, but... There there are two things to keep in mind. Number one, um, it doesn't seem to be as common a thing anymore for some reason. And number two, we're entering a period of time in which um, we're going to have, you know, what a biologist would call a bimodal distribution in the population. It's no longer that a majority of boys are being, I mean, we're, we're, we're right now hovering above 50%. So in about 15 years, the locker room situation is going to look very, very different. Um, and that, the whole sort of rationale around the shame and the shunning in the locker room, which is actually a real motivation for a lot of people, is no longer going to be so simple. Because you're going to have about half the population in the locker room are going to be circumcised and half are going to be intact. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. And of course, the argument that I brought up in the, in the film Raja Hawani, the analytic philosopher, what he says, which I think is brilliant, is that the question is not whether or not people feel shame, the question is whether or not the shame is merited. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just, that was such a a sharp moment of clarity, which is what I, like. that's what I think philosophers are great for.
8: If, I mean, again, as a Jew, if I had had a son, I have a stepdaughter that I raised, um, I wouldn't circumcise him, I would let him have his choice, In my situation, you know, I don't think it's that important one way or the other. I mean, I've worked through it and it wasn't that big of an issue to begin with. And uh, in terms of the sexuality, you know, whether I would enjoy it more or not, you know, not having it, I don't miss it. And I think a lot of circumcised men are getting plenty of sex and enjoying it on that level of enjoyment that they have. And it isn't that big of a deal to them. I mean, if you know, if there are so many other issues and, and psychic scars and neuroses and things that parents do to us, and uh, this to focus just on this one issue, I think is is the least of the abuse that that parents do to their well, children. Well,
0: but but keep in mind, no, 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 no.
6: <laughs> I, I respectfully beg to differ. It may not. Seem like much because they're. My point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it,
6: it, that was cute. For 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 the for the uh, for the, uh, for, the uh, for the tape, uh, he held up a finger, in a very phallic gesture.
0: <laughs> well, uh, look, no, I I, I want to comment on this because this is really an important thing to keep in mind. I'm I'm very happy that you aren't suffering, unduly unduly from your circumcision but you are not the only person in the male population and there are actually people not only who have had botched circumcisions and have to live with the consequences of that but there are people uh in any biological population you're going to have a certain percentage of people who will have a much more dramatic decline in neurological function than the rest of the population and what i've discovered is that um the vast majority of men that i've met who are in the process of restoring going through the restoration of their foreskins as you saw in the film um they got to a certain age and they felt that um they they literally could not feel anything through their penises anymore um and Probably i, too much I masturbation. no i don't think that's it <laughs>
7: it's
0: yeah yeah no i mean but but i mean i i really there's a certain Part of the population that are gonna have that kind of dramatic decline in neurological function, and they're gonna get to a certain age in which, because, and just to give it to give this a number, we're talking about something like sixty-five percent of the sensitivity in the penis is removed with the foreskin. The, the foreskin itself is the most sensitive part of the penis. You're, you know, someone once said that it's the candy, not the wrapper. Um, and so, by getting rid of that, you're basically rolling the dice about whether or not the person uh... that you're cutting this off of is part of that small percentage of the population that will literally not be feeling anything from their penis when they reach a certain age
8: you know one thing that i i noticed in if you watch pornography and you watch either it's homosexual or when the guy pulls out from the woman to share his ejaculation uh... the one thing i noticed is that uncircumcised men masturbate differently than circumcised men. They are pulling and tugging on the shaft of the penis, which again is pulling on the foreskin, which is pulling on the and, uh whereas circumcised men are basically focusing on the corona and the head of the penis itself when they masturbate. And I found that you know very telling and it's kind of an unconscious thing. But, you know, when masturbating, men are masturbating to that which gives them the most pre- pleasure. Absolutely. So uncircumcised men are not fooling around with the, the head of the penis, which may be just too sensitive in a way that might be painful, but they're stimulating it through the foreskin and tugging wow. on the foreskin. And
4: there's a also difference a in the lovemaking. Mental it way. is a clue. Yeah, <laughs> there is a big difference in the lovemaking. So the person who is intact they kind of more gentle and they just enjoy the process when the uh, circumcised, they're like robots, like r- uh, energized bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm
0: going gonna, I'm gonna to take that a little further. I'm going to share with you some new information that's come to light about the difference between circumcised and intact sex. Um, there's a pathologist in Auckland University by the name of uh, Ken McGrath and he's recently talked about um, this very interesting phenomena um, that may be a little surprising to you. But um, anyone who's had sex with an intact with a with a circumcised man knows that directly after orgasm, there's a sort of refractory period where the glands are hypersensitive yeah. and everything yes. has to stop. <laughs> well, guess what? Intact guys don't have that. And the reason that they don't have it, according to Professor McGrath, is that there's a threshold effect that happens where when you're getting sensation coming through the foreskin up to the spinal cord, um, when it gets to a certain crescendo with orgasm, it trips an interneuron that then denervates the the neurons that are coming from the gland's penis. Um, So an intact man, when he's having sex and he reaches orgasm, he doesn't have to stop everything at that moment. Things continue naturally, and that moment that, when you—that's for sure. I know that's true. Yeah. And so this okay. is. <laughs> so we're starting to understand. You what know
8: you're making all of us circumcised men feel like now. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> I feel so small.
4: <laughs> Get a bandaid. Get a band-aid. <laughs> no, but uh, it's very brave of um, Eli, Eliahu, I- Eliahu. It's very brave of you to talk about because you are on the other side of the boat. So you you just sort of uh, presented to us all yourself and nakedness and you talk about this issue. So I think I just applaud Uh, To your courage. Oh,
0: thanks. So I wonder, though, and this is what we were talking about before, I wonder whether it's courage or if I'm just like a really weird guy. Because normal circumcised men talk like that, not like this, right? Like that.
4: So that's why you're you're unique and you're the one who's going to make a difference and stop this process from happening. You're the one. You're the leader. Wow. (laughs) Says, sure. I,
2: I don't want to dis circumcised men. I still love making love to men who are circumcised. Please, let's not. Well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> and, and and they're delicious. So you know, there's you know I don't want to start making men who are circumcised feel like they're already feeling damaged from watching this. We don't need to make it worse. <laughs> thank you.
8: You know, one thing actually wasn't addressed also is that. Uh, And I, as a health educator and as a man in general, uh, spoken with a number of women. And there are a number of women that are really turned off by intact men. They find it gross or or disgusting even to look at. And they have the thought that it's dirty, this and the other. And so there's like a a lack of education or a built-in prejudice, whatever it is. But that's the other kind of side of it that some women We've heard the women that enjoy making love with intact men, but there are some women that said that they would never even consider it, and that's the other side of it. So coin I'll, as I'll well. blow
0: your mind now a little bit. Um, in Africa, um, men talk about uncircumcised women that way.
8: I know that. I know,
0: and um, and they and they will. And they're ostracized, and they're never going to marry. The, and the sort abused. of the all of these things—it's dirty, it's smelly. It smells like a fish. It smells like this. It smells like that. We don't want it. We'd never want to have sex with someone like that. And also, all the health and hygiene rationales that you hear around male circumcision in African cultures, in which women are circumcised, you hear the same thing about women. And of course, you know, yes, it's smelly, right? Human genitals are smelly, and that's, thank God for that. That's just, that's <laughs> that's just a, a good thing. It's a fact of life, right? Um, so we don't go cutting it away because it's smells. Yeah, we'll, wait for the. It still smells
8: even after you cut it away. That's the
0: only thing. <laughs> remove the nose then. <laughs> remove oh, remove no. the nose. He's
7: there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that takes care of the problem.
0: Remove the nose. Really?
3: Um. Well, I've had uh, sex with uh, intact men, which I we, we just used to call them just uncircumcised, and more with circumcised men because I maybe there's more of them around, or there you know a lot okay. of them there are, are. <laughs> United States uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, and, and they're here, <laughs> and you know I haven't had a lot of sex in other countries, <laughs> but um, one of the things that for me is. I'm kind of squeamish about is uh, performing fellatio on an an intact penis because it's got slippery stuff and it's like uh, that's funny stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I don't know. In terms of uh, vaginal sex, I I don't have a you know a clear line that this is better or that's better. Um, that I really noticed a big difference. I think the size of the penis can be quite different, but it's regardless of whether it's circumcised or not. Right. That I think has some more effect than I. All right. but well, I did notice the sensitivity thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you'll notice like, that. I'm
3: sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. No, it's just sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you'll notice. You'll notice I, that. It's like I see this look of pain suddenly. You'll
0: probably. You may or may not have noticed that. Um, you require less artificial mm-hmm. lubrication. Um, part of the mechanics of sex can be altered when you're having sex with an an intact male because a lot of the pleasure on the male side is derived from the foreskin moving back and forth over the glands. And what that does actually is it creates shallower thrusting. Um, Circumcised guys tend to thrust deeper partly because they don't have that gliding action, but also partly because it takes a lot more to get them off. Um, and you can talk but then to. Then it
3: might last longer. That's a good thing.
0: I don't know. I, I, I don't think that it lasts. I don't think it um, lasts longer. And I don't think that always lasting longer is necessarily a good thing. Um,
3: now, I'm not sure if it's true. You know, it, it's, it's this is just from a, a small.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, one of the ways that uh, that it's been described, and I think this is a very um, useful uh, metaphor, is uh, circumcised guys have an on-off. Switch and intact guys have accelerators. And I actually think that, um, and this is just rank speculation, I don't have any evidence to back this up, but based on my anecdotal sort of talking to people who've had, you know, a a wide variety of experiences with this, I think that intact male sexuality is actually closer to female, intact female sexuality. Um, I think that uh, I, I did an interview with a guy named Glenn Callender up in Vancouver, who's, Uh, started this thing up there called the foreskin awareness project. And um, he talks about having multiple orgasms. Um, And of course, that's not something that circumcised men can experience. Um, And so I I do think that there are, you'd think that such a, you know, that it's such a small thing. How, how would that have such a profound effect on sexual function? But I think you can't alter form without altering function. And I think that, as ep- the the evidence that I'm aware of is growing in in a very specific direction, which is that you know intact guys and the foreskin plays a very important role in ma- male sexuality, um, and that maybe a lot of what we attribute to the this sort of radical difference between male and female sexuality in our culture actually comes from a difference between intact and circumcised sexuality. That's, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, very hard to demonstrate or prove, but when you hear people who have had sex with both talk about it, it's hard not to realize that intact male sexuality more closely resembles intact female sexuality. So,
6: um, I've heard from women who have, you know, who, who've been with both uh, circumcised and uncircumcised men and in cultures where circumcision is not is not practiced that the emotionality the relating the, that the men relate differently uh, in cultures where circumcision is not practiced than in cultures where it is routinely so uh, you know so i don't know what what to make of that something i want to sort of go back to the religious piece for a second and that is to say i often think about um god and people's conceptions of god and i'm just having a hard time understanding how anybody could worship a god who would require the mutilation of a person in any form whether it's female genital mutilation or male genital mutilation because i you know when you call it circumcision it sounds it sounds clinical and religious right but from everything you've said t- tonight and from what I saw on the film, we're talking about a mutilation. I just want to just call it what it is. It's a, it's a mutilation, and putting a religious cast on it doesn't change its essential nature. Right. You can mutilate somebody for
3: with the best of intentions. It's still a
6: mutilation. Right. Yeah, you might be better on just yes, okay. get people calling it uh, mutilation,
3: because they certainly call... They certainly call female uh, circumcision mutilation, and I couldn't imagine it and as anything else. So but it says,
8: well, clitoris as well, in, in most, it's more than circumcision. It's, it's way way. really not comparable.
0: I, I would disagree with that. With I I well, would. It's probably not nearly as bad. Well, well. No, no. I'm and I'm I'm going to disagree on this point. But do they
5: really remove the
0: clitoris? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna dis- yeah. Let me. Let me let me give a little bit of background, and then we can talk about why I, I don't agree with the statement that they're completely different. Um, male and female genital cutting practices exist throughout the world, and they exist in varying degrees of severity. Uh, the World Health Organization has a four-class system for female genital cutting practices uh, from type 1, which is the most common and the least severe, which is... Um, partial or complete removal of the clitoris to type 3, which is the most severe pharaonic infibulation in which all of the external genitalia are removed, and it's it's sewn up. Male genital cutting practices also... They, they have to cut them open. There's a whole... It's a whole thing. Male genital cutting practices also exist in a variety of forms and degrees of severity, and it goes from the... Dorsal slit of the foreskin in the Philippines. Aborigines and Australia as well. Aborigines in Australia is the other side. I'm saying the, the, on the, the less severe side, you have the dorsal slit of the foreskin, which isn't the complete removal of the foreskin, just the slit along, longitudinal slit. Then you have Muslim circumcision, which is not as radical as Jewish circumcision and American hospital circumcision, right? It's more like the original Jewish circumcision where they pull it forward a little bit over the glands and take the the front. Then there's Jewish and American circumcision, which are pretty similar in terms of the extent. And then Aboriginal sub-incision, which is uh, completely slicing the penis longitudinally along the urethra and splitting it in two longitudinal halves. How
4: do you re- urinate? It looks they, like a butterfly. They it urinate. stings like a bee. <laughs>
0: it, um, so, the, the, the point, the reason I'm, I'm giving this background is to explain that both male and female genital cutting practices exist in a sort of wide variety of severities. Um, the most common form of female genital cutting practice is what's called Sunni uh, circumcision, uh, which is partial removal of the clitoris. Um, but one of the interesting things about female genital cutting that a lot of people don't know is that even the pharaonic type, type 3 WHO classification, those women report that they enjoy sex. Um, and so what I try to tell people when we talk about male and female genital cutting practices and comparing the two is if you want to get a sense of, of, of reality... Um, female genital cutting practices are probably not as bad as you think they are in terms of their effect on female sexuality, and male genital cutting practices are probably worse than you think they are on, in, on their effect on male sexuality. I want
8: to you saying, you know, when uh, Moses led the Jews out of slavery in Egypt, they're in the desert for the 40 years, apparently, from what little, you know, history I know about my own religion, There was a period of forty years where, you know, boy babies were not circumcised. When during that period of time, Um, I'm wondering if uh, the circumcision practices changed after those forty years in the desert, where the whole tribe was of of boys born into that uh, era were not circumcised.
0: Well, I mean, this isn't really history. This is sort of mythology or stories. But we the story goes that when they entered into the promised land with Joshua. There was a hill called Gilgal and everyone was circumcised there before they went into the land of Israel. Um, interestingly there's no record of Moses ever being circumcised and we know that he didn't want to circumcise his son. There's a bizarre story in the Bible where he refuses to circumcise his son God tries to kill him and his wife circumcises the son and throws the bloody foreskin at his feet.
2: This is what I wanted to address the idea of mutilation just to put it in context you know is that Mutilation is extremely widespread, and the anthropologist will tell you all over the world in terms of scarification,
8: it, tattooing,
2: scarification. Scarification, tattooing um, you know, all kinds of ritual pain yes. as it part of initiation, decoration. But I think it's identity markers, and it's really tribal. It's like I'm saying, my tribe is different than your tribe. And in Judaism, we have the tzitzit, which are blue and white and made in certain types of of material. And and that's supposed to distinguish Jews. It's like, how do we distinguish ourselves from other tribes? And we, we have the hats, and we have the blue color, and we have the circumcision, and we have all these things to say that we are a different tribe. And this is how we know you're one of us: is that your penis is circumcised, you know? Um, I guess the
0: joke's on the Jews in the put United on a States. Seat, but you can't just,
2: you know. Because yeah, I'm just saying, I'm just going back. But all I'm saying is, yeah, including getting piercings and getting your tongue pierced and getting—I mean, mutilation is very I don't popular. Think, I don't think you could you know, pierce
0: your daughter's or son's tongue. And get no, with that. Too.
2: no, I'm not the, talking the, about babies. I'm though. just saying yeah. that in cultures generally, mutilation is very, I mean, that's a big topic yeah, about right. why pain, it's like even S&M. Why is pain considered an excitation? It's considered an initiation. It's considered, right. you know, women have pain during birth and, you know, men have pain in war. They get killed. You know, there's all kinds of initiations that go on. You know, sure. Time. So all I'm just saying is is you know mutilation is something to look at as a cultural phenomenon you know right i, worldwide I think and the, you know absolutely yeah,
0: you're
6: is that something that just because people do it we are
0: no it.
2: that's not come on robert you know me well, better than that i'm no, just saying I'm, sure. I'm trying to put this in context
0: no no it, it's important to put into context but it's also important not to forget the 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 ethical component of this. Right. I have a I I met someone on the tour, actually, who's really interesting. His name is Ryan McAllister. He's a professor of physics at Georgetown University, and he's been focusing on circumcision and other obstetric practices um, that are non-evidence based. Uh, he, he's been doing a lot of work on this and, and that I think is a very interesting context to think about this. Also, there are all sorts of obstetric practices we touched on the medicalization of birth a little earlier. Um, but you know, early clamping of the cord, forced inductions, C-sections, there are all sorts of things that are done for the convenience of the physicians, um, that have absolutely, that are either not in any way beneficial or actually detrimental to both the health of the mother and the infant. And we didn't touch on this much, and I'll get to you in a second. I'm sorry. But um, there are, and I, I, I de-emphasize this because I think people have a tendency to really overemphasize this, but it should be stated that there are financial incentive structures in place for circumcision uh, in a hospital setting. You can charge anywhere from 100 to $400. They're very quick to do. Um, and it's just, um, Penny was telling me that she found out about a hospital that had a nominal circumcision charge, whether or not the boy was circumcised, and whether or not it's a boy. <laughs> Every child born in that hospital is charged. Uh, the insurance company gets charged a uh, circumcision fee. So th- that's that's a part of it. And and of course, the the amputated foreskins are used um, in skin products. Um, right. They're used um, to it's harvest. Cosmetic- they're cosmetic creams and they're also used um to grow skin for burn victims and in burn units skin that's grown from uh, from those foreskins are also used. so they're also there's a there is an industry you brought up t- you touched on the health thing the justification
5: and I know outside of the Jewish faith you know of course there's a there's a, reg- a religious tradition but um you didn't touch too much on that woman who very eloquently was talking, if we got more information, I would change my practices. Did you ever get a resolution with her? Or was she? <laughs> did she have a lot of... I really have, don't think you're going to find that. No, but I'm curious, no, because, because, because she true. seems very open-minded. She seemed... Because, you know, outside of Judaism, the primary... Why, why, All right, well, okay, so that I'm person's very, name is... I just want to say something sh- to finish my thought. Yeah. Outside of Judaism, the, the primary impetus towards it Seems, And by the way, I support not uh, circumcising kids and let them get older and make a decision. But um, the primary impetus is health-related. Now, this woman was taking your arguments and talking to you and saying, well, if if we did get more data, we would change our practices. So apparently she has a database that she feels totally justifies what she's doing now. In your studies, did you find that... Anybody who was making a case that was legitimate, or have you studied the incidence, let's say, of penile cancer or of uh, um, infection outside of this country? Like, if, has a study ever been done that way, like among uncircumcised to circumcised men, are the sure. identical statistics, or is yeah. there a
0: difference? So, so there, two things. I'll, I'll tell you what happened with Rabbi Donnier and then I'll, okay. I'll address your your larger question about the health issue yeah so donnie aaron was upset with the film when it came out Uh, and you know i take very seriously my responsibility as a filmmaker to my subjects to not distort anything that they're saying that's my primary concern so i was very concerned that she might be um upset that i had distorted something she said and it turns out that that wasn't it at all we sat down we went to lunch and um What she was upset about was exactly the cut that you're talking about where she says that thing, that dramatic statement about they'd cancel all their appointments and deal with it. Um, And then I cut to presenting evidence to my dad that this is, you know, causes damage. Um, So that that bothered her, Uh, which is fine. It's okay that that bothered her. I don't feel like I distorted anything she said. It's not my responsibility to educate her. But, right. Um, No, they... And and no one in the reform movement has come to me and said, you know, oh, we really need to take this more seriously now. And no, they, uh, unfortunately, the way it works is, from what I can gather, um, they have a corral of pro-circumcision physicians that they rely on for their so-called objective. She's the head of the Reform's Brut Me program, and so she represents, but yeah, that's how she does it. I mean, she was sending me literature from these Characters who, frankly, are kind of fringe characters in the medical community. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a mainstream belief that this is an absolute medical necessity to do. Um, I have rarely come across. Word? I mean, not an absolute well, if you spoke to evidence her, evidence that it's really if important. you spoke to her, you'd believe that it was this that any responsible parent would circumcise their child, and that's right. just not a mainstream medical opinion. The American Academy yeah. of Pediatrics has stated that even if there are potential medical benefits they don't rec- they're not they're not enough to recommend the practice routinely um, and i have yet to meet outside of a very small group of uh advocates who are sort of really into circumcision uh and they they are fringe i have yet to meet a, a physician who has said to me with a straight face that they think this is medically necessary or even advisable okay so
5: hopefully we're we're, we're in a twilight of a practice as was mentioned about uh, removing uh, tonsils. Every time hit, a kid got a tonsil infection in the fifties, the tonsils came out. Right. As a Matter of fact, rather than say get another infection later, so possibly that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're in a, a point here, an evolutionary tipping point where momentum will shift. Well, I so I I, so I,
0: I, I do want to address your the issue of the health benefits. Now, you did notice in the film that. Um, Leonard Glick, the anthropologist, talked about the history of circumcision in the United States, how every generation had a new medical rationale for it. Um, These sort of fringe characters that I was just talking about have a tendency to take all of the the different claims that were made over the history and, and say, oh, well, you know, it prevents urinary tract infection and it prevents penile cancer and it prevents cervical cancer. And they like have this kind of weird thing, totally ignoring the fact that most of these claims have been completely discredited over time. Um, You were asked whether there were statistical comparisons between the United States and and elsewhere, and a a very important and interesting one, I think, is that if you look at the rates of penile cancer in a place like Finland or Norway, where circumcision is not practiced, they're either lower or the same place as rates in the United States. HIV, if you look at HIV rates, um, Europe, for the most part, doesn't circumcise, and they have much lower HIV rates. In the United States, where circumcision is a mainstream practice, we have the highest rates of of HIV in the industrialized world. uh, Cervical cancer cancer is an interesting story, actually. Uh, Cervical cancer, we find that um, certain populations of Jewish women and Franciscan nuns, for whatever reason, don't get cervical cancer. And for a while, it was thought some people thought it was circumcision, which you know they everyone always immediately jumped to that, right? Like. In the, in, the, in, the early, in the early 20th century, right, syphilis was a big scary disease that we didn't have a, a vaccine for. And they looked and they saw, well, Jewish men, they don't get syphilis. It must be because they're circumcised. Of course, the, the confounding, obvious confounding variable is the sort of social practices and monogamy. I mean, there, there are all sorts of confounding variables. But cervical cancer for a while, it was thought circumcision might, be, might play a role. It turns out, of course, that that it has nothing to do with it. Um, we now know that um, the propensity for cervical cancer actually is a, there's a genetic uh, mutation among Ashkenazic women, and Jewish women, um, that they don't, uh, they have this genetic mutation that sort of protects them from cervical cancer. It's got nothing to do with circumcision. Yes, to the mother
5: of why do you think that the uh, pediatric association isn't disseminating this more widely so that it's getting into the culture? So I what's, think. So what's the impetus for this? Confusion? So there are some very there
0: are some very powerful um, physicians. the 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 people who are on the fringe that I was talking about are actually in very in places of prominence and power in the medical establishment. Uh, some of them are on the review boards of medical journals, and so. Whenever, first of all, well, then why would you call them the fringe? They're the establishment. They are the fringe in terms of numbers, right? There aren't that many of them that would get behind this. They happen to be in very influential positions, right. and because of the history of um, sort of cultural sensitivities in the United States, and you know, I mean, the the New York example that I brought is a classic example of what happens when anyone criticizes. Anything to do with circumcision, even in a case like in New York where these infants died from this very dangerous practice, um, there was this immense backlash to the point where the people who were responsible were never brought to justice in any in any fashion. So there's a deep sort of cultural sensitivity uh, to Jews. And uh, I mean, I, I'd love to say that there's a deep cultural sensitivity to Muslims in this country, but that would be a lie. Um, and there are some very strong advocates for circumcision. Um, some of them have recently done these uh, randomized control trials in Africa around HIV, trying to demonstrate that circumcision prevents uh, HIV transmission, and of course they uh, all sorts of problems with those studies.
5: Is this economic then? Are we talking about? I'm sorry. That? Are we talking about an economic
0: oh, the motive. the
5: motive? I mean I, I, I... See another one that would perpetuate this other than, primarily economic.
0: Well, I I have to say, it's it baffles me a little bit. Um, the history of circumcision is like this, though. If you familiarize yourself with it, that you see a pattern. It, it seems to me like a cultural practice that people are constantly trying to come up with new reasons, new medical reasons for, which in and of itself raises a red flag in my mind.
5: That's what I'm saying. Is there an economic... I oh, no, no, keep no, coming no. up, no. they keep coming up yes. with it's, reasons it's to do reenacting. it. You It's
7: like you making a mistake and it's the mistake
0: is. All right, let's, let's pass the mic, please. No, but it's these things right, don't happen right. spontaneously. We live
5: it's in the right. internet like, age. Mm-hmm. So when something is being brought up, somebody's saying, well, we should do it for this medical reason, this medical reason, there's a lot of data flying around the planet now. So I'm genuinely curious how this illusion is being fostered. Is it somewhat because of this Calvinistic country? where we don't discuss sexuality.
0: That's part of it. That's part of it. There's something, well, something you should something you should be aware of is that the United States is peculiar in this regard. If you look at the rest of the world, the, the rest of the industrialized world, the, re- the rest of the English-speaking world even, which, by the way, um, because of the Victorian influence, circumcision was a mainstream practice in most English-speaking countries until um, the 1950s. Uh, England's a very... Uh, good. Ca- New Zealand's a really interesting case. New Zealand, they had very high, like high 90s percentage 99%. of circumcision. And one year, because it's a small country and they have national health, all the doctors got together and they looked at the evidence and they're kind of like, we're not doing this anymore. And virtually overnight, it went down to like the low digits. Um, Of course, that that could never happen in the United States. We don't have national health care here, and it's a much larger place. But uh, England, uh, after World War II, took a look at the data, found that 16 out of every 100,000 boys that were being circumcised were dying of circumcision-related complications, did a very simple cost-benefit analysis, and said, we're not doing this anymore. Um, The United States is peculiar in that it's continuing to do this. South Korea, also from the American military influence in the Korean War, have started doing this interestingly not on their infants on their children and they see the pain as a really important part of the experience for their kids to become adults through this pain um, but uh, i would say that cultural and psychological factors play a much more important role than economic factors i think that it, it comes back to what we were talking about before this sort of uh, cycle of wounding um, and when you think about uh, a father who's done this to their son um, because they want, they, quote unquote, wants him to look like him, right? They, he wants Junior to look like.
5: I don't buy that one, by the way, at all. I think, I think, if you have a typical parent, that I have to disagree with you respectfully. I don't think there are many men running around saying, "I want to circumcise my kid so he looks like me." The typical thing is they're going to say, "Well, the doctor says we should do this because it's good for well, his health." That's what I've heard all my
0: life. well, that that i I'm uh, well, we know this statistically, actually, well, we know statistically that the number one reason given for circumcision, and again i no 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 no, no, the number one reason given for circumcision in this country by parents is that they want the kid to look like the father now. We may not take that as the actual reason, right? What I'm saying is that there's probably deeper psychological things going on here.
5: I can show you
0: I can show you the study, that's not hard to pull up. Uh, uh,
5: the reason. Yeah, that is the but it,
6: it, reason.
2: I've heard it phrased yeah, right. the other way around that we're afraid that Junior will feel like why don't I look like daddy? Right. So, well, it's this, right. so that so that the child similar. won't feel injured that they already feel smaller than their dad to begin with, and the,
0: the which, is, to right. to be which is right, which is equally bizarre reasoning. Like it's a completely irrational way of thinking about things. Like the father is gonna look lots of, different in lots of ways from the kid. They may not have the same hair color. They may not have and the same. An identity and... So I don't know. Uh, I actually have talked to parents
9: specifically about circumcision because as a doula it's one of the questions that I bring up if they're having a son. And I've had parents who've both chosen to and not to, and I've had Jewish parents who've chosen not to. But uh, a lot of the Christian parents that I've worked with that choose to, it is, that's, that's the final thing that they settle on, that we're concerned that our child won't look like his father and that he won't understand why he's different and so we want him to look like his father so he has a strong sexual identity as a man so and, and i've i've gone through the, the health or the the health things and the emotional arguments and i you know my job as a doula is not to make decisions for people just to give them information but that's where a lot of them seem to come yeah. down
4: so it really is it's a big emotional issue uh, since you're a doula and you are knowledgeable and you know what circumcision could do to a child, have you been able to um, convince parents not to do it? I honestly couldn't tell you whether I've
9: convinced. I present information, I discuss the different aspects, and then I leave it up to them to make the decision they're doing, going to make. Um, if I think about it in terms of just my observation of of how the conversation went and then their final choices. I'd say maybe a few, but not most. Do you
8: bias your, your discussion with them one way or another? I mean, your opinion? No, my
9: job is to be very evidence-based. That's that's my certification is based on being evidence-based. So I present the evidence. And then I, if I include anything that's my own emotional or my own observations, I have to clarify that this becomes my opinion. It's no longer me giving you facts. Right. And then so that they're clear on what they're getting that's factual from me and what they're getting that's
0: emotional. Do you talk about the functions of the foreskin? Pardon? Do you talk about the functions of the foreskin? Mm-hmm. Kay.
9: Yeah. And one of the things that was interesting, I hadn't actually seen a circumcision performed before. I was familiar with the, the general idea, but I hadn't realized that there was... Uh, There's two the
5: what clamps yeah, multiple. Clamps using.
9: I hadn't realized that there was a stripping of the membrane. Because I know in, in caring for infant penises that, that that's one of the things, they're attached. You don't pull back the foreskin when you're yeah. caring for an intact male.
0: That's exactly right.
9: Um, and so that's one of the things I teach parents is how to take care of a young male penis. And in seeing that, that looks so much like there's a procedure in birth that they use as an intervention that I have an opinion about that's called stripping the membranes. And I've watched women go through stripping the membranes, and it's excruciating.
1: Wait, what is that? I
9: mean, It's where they're not progressing in a way that they would like, so they reach in, and they separate the cervix from the tissue around it, and they literally what? tear oh it open God. to try and help it to, to, to separate dilate in their face. And it's, it's really painful, and women that go through it, they're usually feeling like they're... They're getting towards their last chances to have a natural vaginal birth, uh, oh so they choose God. that over stepping into to um, yeah. having exactly. a cesarean. What you're, what, oh, it did, yeah, it works. On
0: on Usually. the yeah. on the care of the intact male, I'm I'm relieved to hear you you talk about that because um, I was in Seattle and I talked to a a lawyer up there who represents doctors opposing circumcision. His name is John Geisaker, and he deals with a ridiculous number of complaints from people who you know we've forgotten how to take care of the intact penis in our culture and there's these cases of what are called forced retractions where um and it happens very quickly and this comes back to the psychosexual thing we're talking about that you know you you, there's like this need to see the normal penis and when you're confronted with an infant who has an intact penis you need to like pull down the foreskin so you can see the glands
9: There's not enough education done about it.
0: And you can introduce infection and all sorts of things. In fact, a lot of the... Yeah, and a lot of the... um, I actually... This is, again, a a hypothesis, but I think a lot of the sort of uh, association that people see with things like penile cancer later in life and intact penises or what they call phimosis is actually due to... Uh, inappropriate forced retractions that create problems that shouldn't have been there to begin with. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Um, now the, the final point on this, uh, is we're talking, the membrane is called the synecchia or the balanoproputial membrane. And it, it actually serves, I think the closest function, the analog in the female is what the hymen does. It's the idea is it's a, it's a, it's a natural membrane that's, that's there for a protective purpose. Um, so yeah,
7: so I'm I'm really struck by the um, what I think is the quaint notion that we're rational. <laughs> um, I mean, all, uh, so many of so many of our our concerns or pos- and and, mystific- and uh, amazement is posited on the notion that that we're making rational decisions based on evidence. And uh, as the the rabbi who you mentioned uh, so clearly shows, because you mentioned you know you interviewed her in the film, and you also told us that she had concerns about which you later, you know, you know, spoke about during lunch, which means that she watched the same thing we did, which means that she had available to her as data that she could go and look up the statement in 1999, all the things we could just write down and verify trivially on the web. And yet, having stated that she would make a rational decision, and having the ability to easily uh, verify these things, she is apparently, along with her population, um, ignoring the, uh, the age of reason. And so I'm finding it um you know i work with um scientists professionally you know big science and all and the more rational someone professes to be the less they appear to be
0: yeah and I, I think circumcision is actually one of those issues that to me signals uh you know a kind of it's it's a bit of a letdown right someone who wants to believe in in the power of reason and in the power of science and that we you know in in our post enlightenment society we've we've progressed so far um, circumcision to me is a really strong reminder of just how easily data can be manipulated to support uh, cultural practices. Um, and uh, yeah, just how fragile the whole thing is.
1: So I'm wallowing and finally having this mic <laughs> <laughs> <Apparently>. <laughs> So um, I'm thinking about culture change and in at least amongst the Messiah in Africa, which have routinely circumcised females over the last 10 years, they've stopped it. And largely it's been an education campaign that um, came from inside. You know, forever the World Health Organization wanted to interfere with these kinds of things and, or attempted to, and they really couldn't. And, you know, anthropologists would know. Things like, you know, it was the grandmothers that were perpetuating it. And, you know, how can you interrupt something like this? And, you know, patriarchies expected it in terms of um, the future wives. But um, ultimately, the education came you know, from women, you know, facing that um, their circumcisions had um, been detrimental. In you know any number of ways, everything from infections to difficult childbirths to um, uh, you know lack of um, pleasure in sex to just any number of health problems, and these days this, the norm is to do a ceremony where they do a teeny nick to draw a drop of blood, and other than that, the genitals stay intact and they still get to do their rite of passage and the babies, you know, and still, and so the whole cultural things about like creating identity still occur. And, you know, in terms of the non-Jews in this country, health insurance through many plans no longer pays for circumcision. And that may be a major reason why it's dropping.
0: That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com.